1 Corinthians 12. Last time I was going through this, we were possibly going to change. Sunday nights have changed. I've been teaching on Sunday nights. So I was going to have a little different format that I don't know if it fits. So I'm interested to see where this goes because I have, I don't know. <laughs> First Corinthians 12, verse 1. I don't know if you have, if you have a, a new King James, not inspired by God, but they have headers. And uh, it talks, the verse, 11 verses, it's labeled as spiritual gifts and unity in diversity. In verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts. And if you have a, uh, a Bible, New King James, I think King James also, the word gifts is in italicized. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. That usually, that just means if you were to look at a concordance, a concordance is basically a dictionary. It'll give you every word in your Bible. Um, and it'll give you the, the original language word and its definition. So if you were like going through word by word, which is, they have helps for that too. I am absolutely no, I'm not even an English scholar, much less a Hebrew or Greek scholar. But, um, but as you're looking at it, uh, you, the, the, their language, their verbs go in different spots. So you actually have to hit another button and then it'll put it next to the English word in the order that your Bible is. And sometimes the commentators added words for clarity because sometimes the Greek and the Hebrew don't, doesn't translate perfectly, so they think that they have the meaning. And rather than being a translation, them giving your opinion of what it says, they actually give you the literal interpretation of the word. And if it's not an actual word, it's in italics, just so you can know that wasn't really there. And it usually makes sense, but sometimes you can just remove that word and it, you'll understand the meaning of it. And he did... So technically, it says now concerning spiritual or things of the spirit. Gifts, he talks about gifts coming up, so that might be the intent. And we know that we read, it was a while ago, but early on in Corinthians, Paul told them that they came behind no other church in spiritual gifts. But then he told them that there was divisions. You do not know you're still carnal. So is it possible to be carnal and spiritual or exercising spiritual gifts. Well, evidently they were, so it, it is possible. I just, I don't know if you guys listened to the radio on the way here earlier, between 6 and 6.30, uh, Raz was talking about in the book of Acts where Paul ended up walking up to a group of people and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you first believed? So he called them believers, but he looked at him and said, you know what, there's something missing in your life. And sometimes people add things um, so we'll get through this. Now concerning spiritual brethren, so he's saying that they're brothers. He's not talking to people that are unbelievers. And just to get, sometimes when people talk about carnal Christians, some people think that's an oxymoron or it can't be true. They're the opposite of each other. Well, you can't be a Christian if you're carnal. Carnal just means natural. And he says, don't you know that you're acting like mere men? So it's like as a Christian, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. If we're not Christians, it doesn't mean you can't think. It just means that you can't think properly. There's things that you just can't do. You, you, you'll do something normal. So if you were to go through your day, and I mean, I get checked on this all the time. I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit is holy. <laughs> and sometimes if you can, at the end of the day, I'll just sit there and try to think. If, if the Holy Spirit, 
was guiding my life today, or if he wasn't, what would have been different? Did I, I just let life take its place? I'm just mindful of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable act of worship. N don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what the will of God is. He says, the world conforms you. It's like it, there's pressure in just life. You can just get up and let life happen, and you, you will not have allowed God to dictate anything in your whole life. I mean, it's, it happens naturally, and uh, it happens to me all the time. And everyone's like, I need, you know, Holy Spirit, you need to be mindful. Give him permission to interrupt you ask every day. If I don't ask, Lord, give me an opportunity to share with somebody today. I'm surprised at how often I don't ask that. And when I do ask that, how many times something comes along, I actually get to talk to somebody. So you have to make it a practice. You have to purpose to do things spiritual. He just says, I don't want you to be ignorant. So can you be ignorant of how spiritual things work while you're doing spiritual things? And they were. They were using gifts out of order. How can that happen? Well, it explains it. So we're here to look at things. A lot of people still do that today. There are people, in my estimation, that do and use spiritual things in a way that's carnal and out of order. There's strange people in my family go to churches that the Toronto Blessing Time you know, they say the spirit came upon me and they would get up in the middle of the service and bark like a dog and run around. That's not the nature of God. They were claiming it was God doing it. Would God do that? It was a spiritual act. It wasn't something they normally did. Um, Paul corrects the Corinthian church for doing things spiritual, but he doesn't want them to be ignorant. So how are these things done properly? And some people would see things like that and then they're nervous about being weird or wrong, and they don't allow God to do anything in their lives, which is equally, how is this supposed to work? Verse 1 says, Paul says, I want to explain this to you. You exercise lots of gifts. You're doing things out of order. I want there to be order in the church. It says in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And yes, it's true that false idols are dumb. But he's not just saying they're dumb, but they are dumb. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying they're mute. They can't talk. So if they can't talk, if, if, if there's a god of alcohol, and do you know there was a god of alcohol that people worshipped? Do you know what his name was? Bacchus. There's... You can go to Munder Avenue. There's a house of Bacchus. That's what it's called. It's a liquor store. They actually don't even hide it. Yes, we're worshiping the God of alcohol here. That's actually literally its name. How does somebody, does alcohol talk to them? Is there a God of alcohol that talks to them? They were Gentiles carried away however you were led. How were they led? They were led by the lust of the flesh. You don't see people walking around worshiping the God of poking me in the eye and these stick forks in their eyes because that's not what they want to do. There's, there's things that we have in, the, in our, ourselves. What are, the, what are the gods that we know of that were worshipped in the Old Testament? Right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Nothing changes, right? And it, it, there's things that we're tempted to do. Again, carnal. There's fleshly lust that we have. 
Verse 3, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed or anathema or damned to hell. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And we obviously know that anybody can open their mouth and say Jesus is Lord. But again, are we living that way? How do you make Jesus Lord? You, you, we need to die to self, and we're not able to do that in and of ourselves. So the Holy Spirit comes, and what, what does he do when he comes? Right? Even I think of John the Baptist, and he said, um, he must increase and I must decrease. And so many times in ourselves, we say, well, I'm really bad, I'm not that good, and we feel sorry for ourselves. And we say, I must decrease so that he can increase, and we have a hard time decreasing. But he is the one that sanctifies us. He has to increase first, and he is the one that does all the work. Paul says, I make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God. So what does it mean to speak by the Spirit of God? And, and I think this is the whole context of the chapter. And if we can get this, the next three chapters, actually. What does it mean to be speaking by the Spirit? What does it mean to be praying in the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? All of these things are, are basically commands in the New Testament. Okay, we're, we're to worship God. God, I understand. The concept of God is there. Everyone seems to understand that concept, whether they believe in it or not. Okay, Jesus is God. Well, how can there be two gods? And then you have to work through the Trinity, and then you come to the conclusion, well, he must be God. It's the only thing that makes sense. So we seem to understand normally God, the Father, God, the Son. But when it comes to God, the Holy Spirit, there seems to be a lot of confusion, and there seems to be sometimes a difficulty in understanding this relationship. I don't know if you found that true, this relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit. Is it growing? Do you pray to him? Does he speak to you? Does he speak through you? Does he work through you? It's of, the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father is there. He made everything. They all did. Jesus was there. He came down. He died for us. The whole Bible is written about him. Him, we seem to have this understanding. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, indwells you. He's the one that told you you needed Jesus. You had to have heard his voice. If you get saved, he actually dwells in you. And he's the one that wants to make himself revealed to others through you. We're about to read that. He's manifested through you. He's the one you think that we should know best. But for some reason, there seems to be this aura or this confusion. I find it intriguing. Also, the thing that the enemy attacks, right? He's the one that leads you to Jesus. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus anathema. The Holy Spirit would never say that. The Holy Spirit, it says that when he comes, Jesus said, when he comes, he will not speak of his own. He will speak of me. The Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, as you're reading through, again, the Old Testament, a picture of, it conceals what the New Testament reveals. And anytime you come across a portion in the Old Testament where there's this unnamed servant, that's a type of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring glory to himself. The Holy Spirit brings you to Jesus. Jesus brings you to the Father. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. They, they, they all work in together. You should know all of them. 
the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He leads you to Jesus. He doesn't call Jesus accursed. And if you want to know Jesus as Lord, you need to be walking in the Spirit and allowing him. If you, he said, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? Don't do the things that I say. He also told us that without the Holy Spirit, we can't do what he says. So if you want to call Jesus Lord and allow him to be Lord, then you have to participate, allow, die to self, and allow the Holy Spirit to live through you so you can actually have life and do what you're called to do. And we're going to find that, especially as American, maybe as men, it's even harder because we're so stubborn and motivated and Americans and get it done kind of attitude, that we think that we need somebody to help us do it when he said, no, you need to allow me to, to do all of it through you. You need to not try harder. You need to stop trying and let me do it. You just need to rest. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities, there's different gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And I know there's more here than I'm getting, but I don't think it's a coincidence. He mentions gifts, ministries, and activities. Gifts, ministries, and activities. They're not all the same. And when he talks about gifts, he says it's the same spirit. And, and we'll, the whole rest of the chapter, we'll talk about that. When it talks about ministries, it mentions the Lord. And when it talks about activities, it talks about God. Diversities of gifts. Not everybody's the same. I'm sure we've all figured that out on our own, right? There are new, no two people the same. You can have identical twins and they're not the same. They might look the same, but there's something different about them. I'm sure everyone's quite aware there's something different about me. Like, yeah, there's something not right. Go ahead, say it, Richard. <laughs> there's just something different about him. Sometimes we compare everyone to ourselves. And this is important to, to, to grasp, and hopefully this will be the thing. We're all called to something. That's what we're about to get to. We all have a task. We all have an activity. It all glorifies God, and it's done differently. And sometimes you can be sitting there thinking, well, I see something. How come they're not doing it? Well, how come nobody's doing it? I, there's something I notice that's not being done. How come they're not? Well, they're called to something else. Maybe you're supposed to be doing it. And just because somebody's not like you doesn't mean they're wrong. We're all different. Now the question is, is are, we should be coming together and making something complete. I think that's the whole gist of this whole chapter. Diversities of gifts, same spirit. Differences of ministries, the same Lord. It's okay. You should have different ministries going on. Diversities of activities, but the same God. And I think it's true individually, and I also think it's true per fellowship. Some fellowships are more evangelical. Some fellowships are more missions-minded. Some, everyone's different. Some people have more of a worship ministry or helps ministry. That's why it's important that we gather together like this. Everyone's called to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to do the work of the ministry. We'll get to that in Ephesians later. But as a body, we're to work together. How do you, well, how do, what's, the, what's the purpose? What's the calling? What's the vision of the body? Well, that's why we get in the word as a body. That's, you know, to see where are we going. We're fit in. So you have a place in your own life where God has placed you, in your family, in your community, 
in your fellowship in this church. In verse 7, and again, this to me is the gist of it, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. To understand the rest of it, I think you need to understand verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We're about to read some of the gifts listed. One of them is knowledge. Knowledge is what you know, right? right? The Bible can say knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge and wisdom are different. Knowledge is a gift. It's not wrong to know things. Who in here doesn't know something? Who unsaved doesn't know something? So that doesn't mean it's the spiritual gift in action. That just means you know something. Now the question comes is, what is the spiritual gift of knowledge? Because sometimes we think we're acting out spiritually because we're just doing something. Why well, made a smart decision? Well, was it the Lord? Like all of a sudden, when you talk about healing, think about that. What, can you heal somebody? If somebody's sitting there with a broken leg and you walk up to them, can you just make their leg unbroken? Can, what did Jesus do when he walked up and he healed people? What did the apostles do when they walked up and healed somebody? There is a gift of healing. It's not very commonly you know, around. It you know, would be nice to have somebody with the gift of healing in our fellowship. But what does that mean? So is, to know that you can't do it in and of yourself, it's, it says it's the manifestation of the Spirit in verse 7. It's how the Holy Spirit re- reveals himself through you. First, you have the Holy Spirit in you, now he's going to do something specific with you. And the crazy thing is, is that each one, not everybody has all of the gifts. He, can, he does. The Holy, these are all spiritual gifts. So the Holy Spirit in me has all of those gifts, but he doesn't choose to manifest himself that way through me all the time. I, I might only get a couple things that, you know, he's called me to for the ministry that I'm in. So we're going to find out that each one is called to a ministry. You have activities to do. It's involved in a ministry, and you're gifted for that. And the purpose, I believe, what it says is that we need each other. The whole body should be functioning together as a group. And just as I can't in my flesh say that I have the gift of healing, it would have to be a work of God. The same thing is true about all the other gifts. So sometimes we pray for wisdom and then I think I can just make a smart decision. Well, I might, I might not. Is that the same decision I would have made if I wasn't saved and the Spirit didn't speak to me? If it is, then it wasn't the gift of knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit telling me something I couldn't have known otherwise. And that's why we need discernment. Discernment isn't, yeah, that person's good or they, they're kind of whatever. It's a discerning of spirits. Right, Matthew, or the um, James and John, right? I think it was the Sons of Thunder, they healed people. They were apostles. They did all of these amazing things. And then I think they might have been able to call down fire from heaven for people that weren't going to believe them. At least they thought they could, or at least they wanted to. And what did Jesus say? He goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's not the spirit of God. Discernment. What in me, the same people that could do one wanted to do the other. One was the spirit of God, one wasn't. Seven, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Each one has a manifestation of the Spirit. Is it important that you know how God wants to manifest himself through you? Well, as we were going through Philippians, right, and Colossians, 
It says, whatever you do, do heartily unto the Lord. And the question the Lord asked me is, what are you doing? Whatever you do, do heartily. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, we should be doing spiritual things. I should be walking in the Spirit. I should be able to, by the Spirit, call him Lord, which means I am now in the ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit doing what he wants me to do because he told me, because he's my Lord. Can I call him Lord? Well, if I want to do what he's calling me to do, then I need to know what he's calling me to do. Can I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling me, talking to me? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do I hear the voice of God? Otherwise, we're just trying really hard, and it'll get really frustrating. That's one of the times that you can know, am I walking in the Spirit? Well, how are you doing? Well, I'm kind of frustrated. Well, it doesn't mean you're not in God's will. It just means you're not walking in the Spirit. It might also mean that you're not in God's will. I've been in multiple ministries. When, when, when it says that he gives gifts without repentance, I don't think that that means that once you get it, you, you, you're never going to lose it. It doesn't mean if you start out as an usher, well, you're an usher forever, and now he's never going to take that away. I just think that what does it mean that he doesn't repent? He doesn't regret doing that, but it might be he's going to call you to something else eventually. I remember I ushered, I was in the Sunday school, I started out in street evangelism, and the Lord moved on. Every time he moved me, it was, it was obviously him, and it was a total blessing. And you can just see him flowing and moving. Now the question is, and it's a walk of faith, so sometimes it's really clear and sometimes it's not. So now the question is, am I allowing the Spirit to tell me I am in his will or I'm not in his will? You don't have to worry about making a mistake if you're trying. You know, he, he, we think sometimes God's upset. Well, you know, I stumbled. Well, you're learning to walk. According, you know, in his eyes, we're not all it. You know, he's probably happy when we get it right. We think he's mad when we get it wrong. He's probably just happy sometimes whenever I get it right. Huh, you actually did something spiritual. Good job. <laughs> we get rewarded. For to one is given, verse 7 says, it's given to each one, and I should mention that, for the profit of all. So why do you get a gift? The gift isn't for people to look at you and say, wow, he's got a gift, look how awesome he is. It's to bless other people. Everything is for other people. I still remember an unsaved coworker of mine, and we were always talking, he would joke in the movie Rocky. He goes, what about Polly? Because he's like, what about me? Everything you're doing is for you. What about me? I got to get something. And everyone thinks about themselves. And what, if I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of me? I got to look out after myself. Can you imagine if you never thought about yourself at all, but everybody you were with just thought about you? That's heaven. Everyone there is serving other people. You don't have to worry about yourself. And guess what? To give is to better. It's better to give than to receive. You'll be blessed blessing other people. If you think you're having a difficult time, help somebody out. It'll make you distracted. It'll get your eyes off of yourself. And it's contagious. That's what church should be like. The gift that you have is for somebody else. So here we are. We're about to get into this picture. It's a body. In which body part's best? Which gift is best? Which ministry is best? And some people were like, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And a lot of people don't like going to fellowship. And here you guys are in a... Thursday night, your pastor is not here. This isn't you, obviously. But the question should be is, you're right, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but the next question is, why don't you want to go to church? Right? The world will know you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. You usually want to be around people you love. 
And second of all, if you're just sitting there walking down the street and here comes an eyeball rolling down the road and you stop and look at it and like, dude, you're getting all dirty. He doesn't have any feet. Does an eyeball need anything? He was like, no, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm fine being an eye. I'm a good eye. He goes, yeah, but you're only an eye. It needs a whole body, an eye in and of itself. What's it? You know, you're going to see food. You can't eat it. You don't have a mouth. It, it, that's how it, literally it should be here. All the gifts should be working together to come together to form a body that we bless one another. I know, Richard, some people think I'm the mouth because I eat so much. <laughs> or the stomach, I don't know. Meat. We all have a part and we all need each other. We all have a gift. If all you do is receive, there's an issue, right? Taught many times you have... Uh, the Dead Sea and the Galilee. The Galilee's thriving with life. What a picture. The Galilee has rivers flowing into it and out of it. In and out, in and out, which we need. For, you need to receive from God in order to have something to give. You need to receive gifts in order to gift somebody. And the Dead Sea has, it's the lowest point there, and everything comes in and nothing goes out, and it's so salty, nothing can live in it. It just receives and it doesn't give. Verse 8, for to one is given, and again, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. It's not just that they're wise. They were given wisdom through the Spirit to another, so not the same person, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another kinds of tongues or different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit gets to decide what gifts you have. It'd be good to have a good relationship with him. He dwells in you. He gets sad. He can fill you with joy. He can equip you. He can make your eternity fruitful. He can make you desirable to be around with other people. Lord, fill me. He is all of those things, but he only manifests himself through the people individually. I remember reading um, or hearing, I don't remember, uh, John Corson teaching on this and uh, he mentioned I think I mentioned this before but if our, we're doing flooring around here let's just say the carpet had a bulge in it right there and uh, before the service somebody's bringing water up to leave it up on the pulpit steps on it, trips and falls spills the water he says what would you do? He's like, some people have the gift of mercy. And they would say, oh, I hope you're okay. And they would run to the person. And another person would be like, somebody's got to clean that water up. And they would go and get a mop or a sponge and clean it up. And somebody else might be like, somebody's got to fix that carpeting. Gifted administrations, all of those things can come together and work. You see it in your home if you have kids, right? Who does your child go to when they have a problem? And that's an easy answer. Depends what the problem is. If they want something fixed, they go to dad. If they think dad's going to be 
mad, they go to mom. If they want something, if they want loving and tenderness and care, all of those things are necessary to raise a child properly. Neither of them are right or wrong. They're both necessary. In the church, there's many things. God equips and gives us things for the benefit of all, and they're all things that can be done and need to be done. So now the question is, if somebody trips and somebody's sitting there looking at the carpet, the person that has a gift of mercy be, might be like, what's wrong with them? This person's hurt. All they want to do is fix the carpet. This, how uncaring can you be? Because not, not everyone's like you, and it's okay. Another thing that is quite common, what do we call it here? The law of first mention. Man, the carpets are always dirty in here. Doesn't anybody vacuum? And then you tell a pastor or Rob or somebody, and like, okay, well, if you've noticed that something needs to be done and it's not being done, maybe you're supposed to be doing it. No one else is complaining about it because they don't even notice it. So, you know, usually if something is burdening you, it's because you're the one being called to do it. So we call that the law of first mention. If you mention something, you might be asked to do it. <laughs> be part of the solution, not the problem. And, and, it, and it's not that you're being punished for noticing it. It's like, well, if you see that, then God's given you that vision for that, then just serve God. Just serve him. Do, it, do what he's calling you to do. If something seems to be out of order that you notice it, maybe it's because you're the, that part of the body that's not doing it, and he's calling you to that. That's how you notice it, because he's calling you. How does God speak to you? We could spend a bunch of times. This is tough. I was actually going to read four chapters today. You could write books on this. How far do you go? So I wanted to be true to the text in Corinthians where we're going, but when you start talking about gifts, being filled with the Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, this can be weeks discussion. I think the main thing to know is, I mean, you don't need to know what the gift of tongues is to be able to speak in a tongue, obviously, because if you know what it is, it's not the gift. You're just speaking. In the book of Acts, they gathered together, waiting for the promise of the Father. Where do you think they thought that was? They didn't even know Jesus was going to die, and he flat out told them. <laughs> then he says, when I die, and they're like, what do you mean when you die? <laughs> Tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Okay, what's that? I already, already told them that it is expedient for you that I go. If I don't, if I do go, I will send the Holy. I will send you another Helper, and, it, and I'll, I'll pray to the Father, and He'll send another Helper. In the, in the original language, it actually says another just like me. I will send you another just like me. Jesus, when He was walking on the earth, was at one spot and at one time, and when He went, someone just like Him. Jesus said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father," and He also said, "If you've seen me, you'll know who the Holy Spirit is." If you think all of this stuff is a little weird, I'm just going to stick with Jesus. Well, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is just like me. You don't have to be freaked out or panicky or worried or concerned. Well, if I, if I let the Holy Spirit take me over, what, I'm, I'm going to be weird. Well, do you think Jesus was weird? We should want to be just like him. And we can't be like him unless the Holy Spirit changes us. He has all of these things He's the one working. There are different gifts because of different ministries. Verse 11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and having all been made to drink into one spirit. So we have this picture, and that's how I, you know, again, the Holy Spirit, repetitive, but Paul says, I don't mind repeating things because it's safe for me, so I'll repeat it also. We have three biblical that I, to my understanding, relationships with the Holy Spirit. When you're unsaved, it says that he walks beside you. He's outside of you, walking beside you. The, the, the name is para or paracletus in the Greek. It's he's alongside of you, and he convicts the world just as Jesus said he would do when he came in John 16. He will convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness, of sin because you do not believe in me. Once you accept that and believe that, and you believe the gospel, and you're born again, John 1, 12, and 13, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Then he comes inside of you, and then you have a different experience. And that word is N, E-N in Greek. So he was beside you, now he's in you. And Jesus even said he was with you, then he will become in you. And then that happened to the apostles in John 20, verse 22. And he breathed on them and said, receive you the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. And we also know in Acts, when the church was born, chapter 2, it said the Holy Spirit came upon them. In other words, E-P-I, epi. So there's this uponness. And I just read this, and it says, you were baptized into Christ, so you go into the water, but then you drink of the Spirit, then the Spirit goes in you. So you think of a cup, and when you get saved, it's like somebody pours water in the cup. But if you're going to walk in the Spirit, he's going to have control. And I'll take that cup full of water and drop it in the river that's moving. There's a picture of that in the Old Testament of the priest walking into the river, and it says they went up to their ankles and then up to their knees, the whole time they're walking, and eventually it got up over the waist, and then the, the water carried them. Who's in control? Just let God have control. Let go. And we have this in-charge man mentality, especially in America. Be your own person. That's why Jesus said you need to die. That's what he means, let go. Let go of everything that you have control over and let him do it. You have all been made to drink into one spirit. 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, If the whole were hearing, where would, the, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? And I just find that true, too. And, uh, sometimes you think, okay, what, what's my gift? Well, not everybody has the same gift, because if we all had the same gift, what would the point be? We're, we're, we're unique and different. He's about to go on and say some parts 
So, so what's more important, your hair or your heart? Of course, how much time do we spend preparing our heart and how much time do we spend preparing our hair? People can see your hair, but I can do without hair. I can't do without a heart. The point, I mean, hair, everything is important. Some things that you don't see that you might think you can get away with without doing anything about are actually kind of more important sometimes. And if you don't think things inside aren't important, all you have to do is have one of them go bad. They seem to draw a lot of attention. And he's also going to say, when something hurts, you smack your finger with a hammer and your mouth doesn't laugh at it, your toe doesn't start dancing. <laughs> you're, you're, the whole body cares for the one thing that's hurt because you're all related. If, if all were tongues, so I don't know, you don't have to raise your hands. If any of you are an evangelist or have ever done evangelism, I believe the Lord had called me to evangelize, go out street witnessing, and uh, you would think, okay, well, birds of a feather flock together. You want to go out with a bunch of evangelists because not everyone else wants to go. And I know we pray and spend a lot of time. Our dear brother, Steve Spizano, goes out a lot. Um, I don't believe he thinks that he has the gift of evangelism, yet he's probably out more than anybody that I know. I loved going out with Steve. He's a prayer warrior. Jesus sent him out two by two, and usually one of them did the talking. So there's a couple other people in here that I was very close with that both had the gift of evangelism, and it's like you're out talking, and there's something going on, and everybody wants to talk. You need to have the Lord... If it's what you're called to do, you just want to. It's a blessing, and you have something to say. If he's showing you something, and sometimes you're out with people that don't have the gift of evangelism, and they just want to pray. And next thing you know, you're getting into a conversation, and they think of something to say. And if the Lord is giving you something specific that's supposed to be said, and sometimes anyone else just talking is interrupting, are, are you really letting the Holy Spirit work? And, I mean, Steve was a blessing. He was more mature than me. He was saved before me. He would just pray. The Lord was always working. And a lot of times, because I'm exercising my gift because it needed exercise, and I'm young, and every once in a while I would get stumped or I would get into trouble, and of course he would always have an answer and bail me out. I remember we were in Ithaca when Scotty was moving down to start a church down there. Um, I don't know if you guys ever listened to Radio Scott Gelton. used to be an elder at this church, and he went down there, and we would all go down, and we went to the commons area outside Ithaca, and uh, just started letting people know there was a church starting there. And let's talk about spiritual darkness. That place is creepy. And uh, you name it, it goes on there. And it's just darkness. You can just feel it in your spirit. And I was evangelizing, had been all the time. A bunch of people from our church came. So a lot of people were like, this is a little intimidating. And... Uh, God had to show me a lesson, and I'm like, no, I go out all the time, there's no big deal, and I went down there, next thing you know, I ended up at the conversation with this gentleman who was drunk, who wouldn't leave, who was talking about books, about when Jesus was a teenager, that if you don't know that, you don't know him, and I'm pretty sure the guy was possessed, and I couldn't get away from him, and I'm like, I'm in over my head, I was haughty, and God says, you know, you think you got this? Okay, here, talk to this guy. (laughs) And uh, um, there was a, a youth from here, 20, Bible college. 
Elijah Whitehouse was there, and finally I got his attention, and he came over, and I needed a 20-something year younger than me to help me and bail me out, more mature in the Lord than I had been saved longer. And he just started, like, listening, and then he started talking, and then the guy started arguing, and then he just closed his eyes and just started praying for the guy, and the guy started getting mad and screaming at him, don't pray for me, and then he finally walked away, and I don't think I went out. I went out street witnessing twice a week, sometimes three times a week. I don't think I went out for six months after that. I was just like, oh, Lord, I need help. It just, I don't know, there's, he humbled me, and... and I needed the body to come help, and it was there. We need each other. Sometimes we need to take a break. Sometimes he sets us in order. He set the members in verse 18, each one of them in the body as he pleased. We're not all one member, otherwise we wouldn't have a body. You can't just be a liver. Otherwise, the only thing you're good for is to be eaten. I know I eat liver now. Anyways... Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Think about that. And that's why it's so important. That's why Pastor Jeff wanted the fellowship hall. A fellowship hall is in a time that, okay, we did church, now we'll just sit down and eat. It's supposed to be a time of fellowship. That's why it's called a fellowship hall. Everybody here has a gift. It's supposed to be a time when you get to exercise your gift. We should be fellowshipping over the Lord. We should be talking to people, finding out where they're at, praying with them, you should be engaged spiritually with each other, and you can't say, well, I don't really need that. Because you're only one part, and I cannot say to any other part of the body, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We might not think we need each other, but we do, according to God. 22, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. If nothing else, you might think, well, I'm just weak. Who am I? Well, God says you're necessary. You have a spiritual gift, and people here need you if they want to be healthy. I had my appendix out. My appendix was bad. I had to reprimand it. <laughs> Take a knife to it. Well, I didn't do it. <laughs> I said, bad appendix, you're gone. So they went in and cut it out. I can get by, but I'm missing something. It wasn't there by accident. It is used. You can get by, but I am not efficient. My body is missing something. And sometimes things, we don't act the way that, that we should. It doesn't mean that they're not part of the body. They're necessary. 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. There's parts of our body that are visible and parts that shouldn't be, some that can't be because they're inside. I like to keep all my inside parts modest, please. <laughs> but our presentable parts have no need. But God, but God, composed the body. In other words, you can think about your body. You can say, well, my knee hurts. Well, we need joints. Multiple times it talks about joints and ligaments and tendons and everything's put together and everything's holding things together. There's no part of your body that wasn't there because not, God doesn't want to teach us some spiritual truth. You might not be a medical profession person, so you miss out a lot on this. If you are a medical profession person, you should realize this more. It should make more sense to you. And you can explain it to people like me that are simple. 
Everything's tied, everything has a purpose, nothing was by accident. Every desire, I've mentioned this multiple times from up here, desires aren't wrong. If you have a desire, it's because God gave you the ability to have that desire. It's supposed to be to teach you a spiritual truth. Nothing's a coincidence. The question is, is not, why do I have a desire? The question is, what are you doing with that desire? Are you honoring God with your body? Are you honoring God with your decisions? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to govern those things and to learn more about who he is by what he's given you? 24, God composed the body, heaven given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Why? That there should be no schism or division that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And again, you're talking about people are different and they have different gifts, and there are denominations divided over the gifts, which is just like Satan, because the whole reason for them is so that we don't have a division. How are we doing in this fellowship? Do we have a division in the body? Well, bodies have an immune system. Isn't that crazy? What do you think that is? What spiritual reason would that be? So you have a living organism. There are, I remember, I can get corrected. I am not a doctor, but I remember uh, Chuck Missler years ago saying that if you get a, a germ in your body, your body might, doesn't know that it's there. And it says that th it sits there and it multiplies and it won't reveal itself and attack the body until it thinks it can win. And it'll sit there and eventually it will attack and then your body realizes it's there. It makes white blood cells and then it goes and it hits that spot. So there's like this war going on inside of your body with things and you're fighting it. And what's cancer? Cancer grows in your body. What, what is a cancer cell? It's something that doesn't. So we have DNA. Everything has a plan. Your, your cells can separate and the DNA can make it become your whole plan for your whole body is in every cell. So my, the cell of my stomach, it, it knows the whole plan for everything. So you can actually, it can become whatever it needs to. And when cancer comes, it basically is something denying the plan. It says, I'm going to do something else. It grows into something that's not supposed to be there. And the only thing that you can do is get rid of it. You know, we don't get upset when a cancer thing is removed from us. I don't want to be a cancer. Just do what God says. Just follow the plan. Follow the instruction. Let the Holy Spirit come. And nothing should be lacking. And don't cause division. And what, what does cause division? Doctrine can cause division. What, what doctrine should we allow to divide us? If, it, if it's not relevant to um, salvation, is it really that important? Doctrine's important. You should be set in your mind on what you believe doctrine is. And it's something okay to discuss, but it should never be a thing that... And again, you know, there's some people that go around, we've going to churches that have been getting thrown out and all they want to do is tell people that they're wrong. That's all they do is go around and complain. And you're in error. And they think they're prophets and they're telling everybody that they need to repent. 
And if they found a church they didn't have a problem with, they'll leave because they won't do anything because they're really not looking to find fellowship. They're looking to find a problem. What's, what's the point of all that? There's some people that all they want to do is let you know what they know. They just want to let you know what they know. And if they have anything that's different than you, than you believe, then they just want to bring that up every time because they want you to know what they know. That's not caring for you. That's causing, that's, it's, 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 it's trying to get them to look at you. That's just carnal. That's what our flesh does. That's what my flesh does. That's what everybody's flesh does. It just wants to make itself look better. The Spirit of God just wants to make you better. Everyone else. Are you a blessing? And, and I remember, again, uh, Gail Irwin used to talk. He did the Jesus style. He was a great teacher. He was one of the funniest, friendliest, happiest guy. They would cut you deep. You'd be laughing while you were crying. <laughs> what was Jesus like? And he would say, there's a lot of people that are like that. They just walk and they sit down at church and they're like, God, I give you 20 minutes. Bless me or I'm leaving. And a lot of people, that's their attitude when they come to church. Well, I didn't really get anything out of that. Well, the worship didn't do anything for me. Well, I don't want to be rude, but I will, because I can be. But it's really not about you. Did you bless God, and did you bless others? You should be coming, Lord, who can I bless? And if you just come looking to bless other people, and everyone else does that, that's what fellowship is supposed to be. That's what church is supposed to be. That's what heaven is going to be. That's what the Spirit is leading people to do. Verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And again, that picture, if you smash your thumb with a hammer, your whole body curdles into a fetal position, you hold on to it. I don't know why my eyes sweat when my thumb bleeds, but... It's sweat. I don't cry. I mean, it may look like tears, but <laughs> your whole body feels the pain. And that's the way it should be here, too. Again, we just prayed for our friend, Billy, whose grandson passed away, and he had to do the funeral tonight. And your heart just breaks for him, how difficult things can be. We hurt with him. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those that mourn. And again, if one member... Again, we're all one body. If somebody does something good, it reflects on all of us. Like, just like Pastor Rob going through the Old Testament right now, people that were behind watching the stuff got the same reward with those that were out doing the fighting. We're, we're all connected. We're all together. We're all in Christ. And if you don't get a picture of anything else, get that. It's the Holy Spirit in you that does all these things. And Jesus in John 17, he prayed, right, that, that I, I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I will be in you, and you will be in him. We're all connected. We get to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And if you don't like the thought of somebody getting rewarded for what you've done, well, change your mind, because you're getting rewarded for what Christ did, and you're on the winning deal of that. <laughs> Hallelujah seated in heavenly places. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. And again, when we were talking earlier about, um, I think it was chapter 3, he was talking as to the congregation as a whole. Well, right now he's speaking about people individually. They're both true. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church 
First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all apostles? Are you an apostle? I think the obvious answer is no. Of course, there's the capital A apostles and the little A apostles. As Gail Irwin says, the apostles, every time he's talking about them messing up, and these are the apostles, these aren't even the B apostles. These, but a little A apostles, are, the word apostle doesn't mean a sent one. We know that there were, how many apostles were there? This is a trick question, by the way, I'll tell you right now. My Sunday school kids know it's 13, because Judas died and then Paul became an apostle. But anyways, so there are 12 thrones, 12 seats, there's 24 around the throne, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles are up there, mentioned. Not all are, are all apostles, the obvious answer is no. Are all prophets, the obvious answer is no. Are all teachers? The obvious answer is no. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. So it is okay to covet if you're coveting a good thing. And yet I show you a more excellent way. So there's different administrations. Obviously, if you're going to have the gift of teaching, God is going to, usually prophesying is just, which we're going to get into in chapter 14, what that looks like. But it's foretelling God's word. And we've been given his words. When you're teaching, you should be prophesying. So there's gifts that correlate to the ministry that he's given to you. Not everybody has the same ministry. Not everyone's going to have the same gifts. One of the ways that you can find out what ministry you're called to is by what gift you have. Or, I mean, Calvary Chapels, I don't know how familiar you are with this, but in general, it's not like I have a good idea, I have good intentions, I want to do something, so I go to school for it. You can go to seminary if you're a Baptist and say, I, need to, I want to become a Baptist minister. Well, we believe if you have a, it's a gift, it's a calling that God does. It's supernatural and it's by his spirit. You don't figure it out. You should you have the ability and the choice to, to participate with God in it and to grow and to exercise the gift and to walk in it, just like we can walk in the Spirit or we cannot walk in the Spirit, we can walk in the flesh. But if you are doing something, the leadership will say, hey, look, that's what they're doing. It's obviously that's what God has called them to. And then we just try to acknowledge what God did. And then we would, you know, you're already doing it. We'll give you whatever, the opportunity to exercise that. The question isn't what do we think is best or even what need do we have. The question is, is what, is God, what did God do? It's his church. Jesus is the head of the church. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives gifts. It's really not up to us. A lot of this gets explained in chapter 14. You can't get to 14 without going to 13. Um, Rob's gone, so I plan on next Thursday, I'll be teaching again, I'll be doing 13 and 14. But in the meantime, I was hoping to go through, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. (laughs) 
now I'm just going to have to do some fast reading because I have a lot here I wanted to go through. In context, hopefully this will bring it together, and I'm just going to read the chapter. Paul, an apostle, so here is an apostle, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. What is God's will for your life? According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the, disp in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment, the promise of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You trusted, it says in 13, after you heard the gospel, and then you were saved, and then you believed, and then the Holy Spirit came in you and sealed you. And that seal is a guarantee. It's a down payment. It's actually the same thing hearing Joe Foch talk about this. It's, it's a wedding ring. It's, it's an, I'm not wedding, an engagement ring. It's saying, I'm going to betroth you, and this is the proof that I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Verse 15, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What does he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are his body. He is over all things. He gave us a guarantee once we got saved and the Holy Spirit was in us, the promise, and he gives us the knowledge of his will and what he does. If you'd flip with me to Ephesians 4. Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The next question should be is, what is my calling and what was I called to? Walk worthy in it. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. You don't have to make unity. The Spirit has no problem with himself. The Spirit in me has no problem with the Spirit in you, and the Spirit in you has no problem with the Spirit in the other believers. He is fine with himself, and if we're not okay with each other, then I'm the problem. It doesn't mean that if the Spirit in me is working correctly and you have a problem, then I will deal with that according to the Spirit. It will be correctly. I don't have to create unity. I just have to endeavor to keep it. Verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of, the, of your calling, there's one Lord, and it's not me, it's not you. There is one faith, and there's one baptism. We're all in the same thing together. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. Jesus died to save us, but when he ascended, he gave gifts to people, to mankind. Now this he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He was in heaven. He came down here, became a man, died as a man, and then he ascended back to the Father. 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Men can be tricky in their understanding and teaching in the cunning craftiness and of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, 
speaking of this body again, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're to be coming together, becoming healthy, being knit together. And I know there seems to be this, I don't know, because we're worldly before we're saved, you know, a ranking. I don't know what you think of certain ministries. Worship leaders sometimes can be held up in high account. Some people, you know, I, I, I don't know how to witness. I just got to get somebody to church, let my pastor talk to them. Like, what's a pastor? You know what a pastor is? You know what the word in the Bible for it? It's under rower. It's the slave underneath the boat with the oar that's getting the ship moving. We're only to get the ship moving. They're the lowest servant. You're just a servant. And so it says here, 11, he, he himself, God, through the Holy Spirit, gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So who are the saints? What is the saint? I mean, if you understanding is of the Catholic Church, it's all wrong. Paul wrote to the saints in some of his books. He wasn't writing to people in heaven. They don't need Paul to write to them. A saint just means a called out one, the ecclesia. It's the church. You've been called, you, you've been, the word holy, a saint means a holy one. Holy means separated. You've been separated from the world. You've been separated to God. If you're Saint Richard, Saint Dave, Saint Lisa, Saint Maddie, you can, we're all saints. If you, if you are a Christian, you're a saint. And teachers are to equip the saints. Why do people need to get equipped? To do the work of the ministry. So some people think that the pastor is supposed to do all the ministry. No, we're to equip you to do the ministry. You have a gift. You should be walking in it. You should be edifying one another. You don't have to come up and have a pastor pray for somebody. You can pray for somebody. Your prayer, my prayer isn't, Richard's prayer isn't any more effective than yours. What makes prayer effective is if God listens and he does it. We don't have any more direct route than anyone else. We're all his children. What makes a prayer effective is if it's according to his will. Do you know what God's will is? If somebody wants to pray with you, sometimes it's not that we're not opposed. We'll pray with anybody. We love praying with people. The saints are to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, and we're going to take communion. So if you want, Sarah wants to come up, just think about that as we're singing. Um, and then if you would come up and take the tokens and go back to your seat during the song, and then we'll take it together at the end. But... Jesus died and ascended and gave gifts to people. That's what Ephesians tells us. So, Lord, what, what did you give me? Why did you give it to me? And what should I be doing with it? Or what, am I, what do I think that I should be doing that I'm doing that's not led of your spirit? It's just the carnal. Let's see.
what does water represent biblically? The Word and the Spirit, both. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word. We ask the Lord to send the latter rain. It's pouring out right now. Imagine if you're outside being covered. Just read Ephesians, Jesus died, gave us a guarantee. The Holy Spirit, who calls us, equips us, sends us out, makes every opportunity. It was all done because of the purchased shed blood of our Savior. And he said, what did we do? What does this represent? What did we have to do with it? Jesus did it all. He did it without asking us. He did it because he loved us and he paid for everything. And sometimes we might think, why would God use me? Or God can't use me. But it had nothing to do with us. He can do whatever he wants. And he chose, and he told us what he wants. Death and resurrection. He who descended from heaven came to be you, died for you, and then ascended and gave gifts to men. There's nothing more liberating. There's nothing more joyful. There's nothing more edifying than walking in God's perfect well, knowing he's pleased with you and seeing people around you blessed because of what God did and giving him the glory for it. And this represents what he did, what made it available to us. And again, we take it in. He goes into us. We are in him and he is in us. So Father, we just thank you that you made a way. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he showed us who you were. And we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to tell us that truth, to bear witness to our hearts, to our soul, the love of Christ, the love that you have for us. And Holy Spirit, we want to know you better. We want to yield to you. Lord, we have to acknowledge what this body and representation of Jesus' body and blood did for us in order for us to die to self to allow you to do that. So come, fill us, equip us, and lead us to Jesus, Lord. Let's take the bread in remembrance of what he did for us. blood spilt, life spilt so that we can have life, abundant life. Remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us, that we take him in, that he is in us, Lord, thank you. Let's take the... To finish up Ephesians 4. 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work in all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And Father, you have a plan for us that's better than we can imagine. You're better to us than we are even to ourselves and to our people that we claim to love. You are the definition of life itself. Breathe in us. Fill us. Help us to not be afraid to allow you to manifest yourself through us. Lord, manifest yourself to us that you might manifest yourself through us. Help us to believe you. Be glorified here. Teach us to worship you well. Thank you for being good. Come quickly. Amen.